We are in a study of the meaning of covenant love. Tonight, we look at Law 3. And the basic point of Law 3 is self is the enemy of covenant. Why would self be the enemy of covenant? Right, when you start thinking of self, you have already violated law number one. If you're considering yourself over your mate, you violated law number one. Because what's law number one? Two shall become one. We were designed to be one. The minute I'm thinking more about myself than my mate, I have violated covenant love. What that introduces to us introduces the concept of mutual submission. Submission's a bad word <laughs> to some people, and it's been abused, uh, unfortunately, throughout history, especially for women, uh, you, regarding this verse that we're going to look at in Ephesians 5:22, the concept of being submissive. But you need to understand the beauty of submission. Submission is a beautiful thing, especially when there is a mutual submission, one surrendering to the other creates a beauty of caring for one another. In fact, let's look at a definition of what submission is. All right, we'll break this down. Submission is voluntarily yielding our rights to one another in love. Voluntarily yielding our rights to one another in love. So let me break that down for you, okay? So when I say voluntarily... That means it's a what? It's a choice. Alright, if it's not voluntary, then it's either coerced or it's slavery. So submission, you can't have submission if it's forced. That's slavery. If it's tricked, that's not submission because that's not voluntarily. Do you understand what I'm saying? So submission has to be agreed upon and voluntary to do. So submission is voluntarily yielding your rights. What does it mean to yield? It's to give. I purposely give you my rights. I have a right for something, but I'm going to lay it down. I am preferring you over me. Okay? Now, some of you have been in a relationship where you've been doing that, but that hasn't been reciprocated back to you. And that creates a problem, right? Right? And, and so what we want is a mutual submission. So that if I'm surrendering my rights for my mate, and my mate is surrendering her rights for me, I've got a beautiful thing going on here. So I'm getting my supplies met by her, and she's getting her supplies met by me, instead of me trying to satisfy myself. Uh, voluntarily yielding our rights to one another, equally submitting one to another. And here's the caveat, in love. In love. So we care. We're giving to each other. And basically the uh, ultimate expression of that is this, all that is mine is yours. And all that is yours has become mine. And uh, that's the two becoming one. And so my whole goal in my marriage is to yield what I want and what I'm doing and my purposes to the benefit of my wife. And if she's yielding all of her wants and desires to the benefit of me, 
Like I said, man, you got something good going there. That's nice. That's sweet. So you're getting filled up while you're emptying out for the other person. And so there's a reciprocal synergy, energy, and dynamic in your marriage. Now what happens when that's not going on? A vacuum gets created. If you're not giving and you're not receiving as it's coming to you, now you're having to try to get. You're no longer giving, you're trying to get. And that creates this flow into then a vacuum. You're trying to pull out of the other person what you want. They're trying to pull out of you what they want. And, and it's creating tension and a void. So we've got to prime the pump. One of you is going to have to submit voluntarily, yield your rights, and yield and, and try and get this thing going to where you'll surrender for the sake of the other person. And you're, you're hoping and communicating that they will begin to do that as well, to get this flowing. And so that's submission, and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. So all that's mine is yours, and all that's yours is mine. So then we both can draw from this wonderful expression of love. Of course there's going to be times where one person yields more than the other. One person's tired, the other steps in. I remember raising kids. I don't know how you single moms do it. My hat's off to you, I commend you, I pray for you. I I don't understand how you can raise kids by yourself because there's just times where you're burned out, you're just done. And you don't have any help. I remember there's times where I, I was toast, man. I'm going to kill this kid. And my wife came and rescued their lives. <laughs> and then there's times where I could tell with her, she's, that's it. She's staring off into space again. I better get these kids out of here. <laughs> and, and so it's a tremendous thing. Of course, there'll be times where one's doing more for the other than the other can for them. But again, uh, it'll even out. It'll balance out again and, and work back and forth. We kind of rescue each other. We need to do that. So let's get into this beautiful, wonderful word of submission. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? And Paul talks about this. He's talking about the relationship of a man and a woman, but he talks about it so intimately and deeply, and he re- references Jesus in the church. So you can't tell the difference. Is he talking about a man and wife or is he talking about Jesus and the church? And the answer is both. Because it is the same dynamic. In your Bibles, you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 5, which when Paul wrote it, he didn't divide it into chapters. Paul didn't put chapters in there. Scribes did that. And then you'll see in verse 22, there's a heading a heading at the top that typically says uh, wives and husbands, correct? Paul didn't do that either. Zondervan or whoever the publisher was decided to split it right there and put that in there. There's a problem with that. When they put this, wives and husbands, they have separated the flow of thought in the Scriptures. And so what people do when they're looking at the the biblical concept of how a wife and a husband should act, they start at verse 22, and they start with this, wives, submit to your husbands. That's, That's where they start with the marriage relationship. But that's not where Paul started with the marriage relationship. It's up in verse 21, 
Paul says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's part of his discussion on worship in the church. In, he, he talks about how in a church we're to have uh, songs and melodies and spiritual songs and hymns singing together, always giving thanks to God and uh, for everything, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and he says, submitting one to another in reverence to Jesus Christ. And in that same thought, he now enters in marriage. Because what is key in a marriage is submission one to another. It helps us understand. Women are not the only ones who are supposed to submit in a marriage. Okay? So this verse has been distorted for many years where the man's the king of the household. He does, he commands what he wants, when he wants. And wives, you submit. Give me my slippers, get me my robe. Right? Make my meal. And if you don't submit, I'll tell the pastor to... Make a house call and tell you what to do. So this is, a, this is not what Paul had in mind. He says that we are to submit one to another in reverence or in worship to God. Because there's a synergy here, there's a dynamism here that is supposed to be flowing in covenant, a mutual submission, though our roles are different. Not our equality with God. Our equality with God is the same. Right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free. So our position and our gender, we're equal in salvation. But what is different is our roles and our purposes in functioning in our genders. But there is a difference in our roles, but there is necessary a mutual submission. But because we're different and designed to be different, that submission works differently in each of us. And we're going to look at how that works and how we need to discover that. So he starts with wives and he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Why would he say it that way? Submit to your... Why doesn't he just say, wives, submit to husbands? Because he does, you're not, you don't have to submit to, to somebody else's husband. You're not submitting to, you know, my wife doesn't submit to the, the, the other lady's husband over there. No, this is within our covenant relationship, our wife. Now, of course, you submit to leaders. You submit to those in authority. We all have to submit. Does everybody understand that? First of all, we all submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Second, we're to submit to all governing and ruling authorities. Right? And then there are levels of submission. And I'm telling you what, if you haven't learned how to submit, uh, you're going to have trouble in life. You really are. Submit to teachers. You start off submitting to your parents. And if we can't submit to these things, we're going to have trouble all our lives. And that's, this is a real problem in marriages. We're refusing to submit. We're refusing first to submit to God, but also submitting to the covenant role we're in. So he starts with wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, and its redeemer, and its healer. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should submit in everything to their husbands. Now there's the analogy he's giving. 
So let's ask the question and get some answers here. The illustration of submission for a wife to her husband is the same as the church to Jesus Christ. So let's ask this question. How does the church submit and show reverence and love to Jesus? Give me some ideas. Say that. Obeying? Leading others to Him? him? Alright, let's let's start with each one of these. So, So, the wife is to obey the husband. So, whatever he says goes. But we have to put the husband in context of being like Jesus. Asking the things that Jesus would ask, right? I mean, he's got to be a good person not asking sinful things and wrong things in a wrong attitude, right? All right, so obeying, obedience. Uh, uh, what else? Serving, respect. We do that with Jesus. What else do we do? Honor, praise. Praise. Now, I don't know if you'll remember from last week, but if you'll remember how men respond, men respond to what? Praise. What you're going to find out is the way men are made is the way that this works between the church, who is the bride, and Jesus, who is the head. So uh, Jesus doesn't need praise because he's insecure, but men sure do. (laughs) Men respond to praise. They respond to respect. They respond to obedience. They respond because they're trying to achieve something. They're trying to work towards something to accomplish something. And they need an attaboy. They need a well done. They need someone who will serve to that end of what the goal is. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's what men are looking for. We talked about this last week, why some guys prefer to stay at work than they, than they do being at home. Because a lot of times guys get respect and get praise at work. And when they come home, they don't get it. And so they'll work overtime because they feel better there than they do at home. And so we've got to, ladies, you've got to learn to praise your husband. He will respond. And many times what happens is there's complaining. Why don't you do this? I asked you to do that. Why don't you do this? And if a man feels like a failure, he will quit on you. He will quit on you. All right? But if you could praise him, now you're saying this sounds childish. Basically, we're all children anyways. So, but if, if you praise him, you will get a better result. Whether you like that or not, I'm telling you the truth and how men work. If you will praise him, you will get a better response. If you build him up, if you exalt him and treat him as Lord, you'll get a better result. Now, guys are going, I like this. Yeah, I like it. Amen. Let's go to the men. Now, here's the difference in their submission. There's a mutual submission going on. Women are submitting, lifting up their husbands, respecting them, serving them, honoring them, worshiping them. Guys are going, yeah. Women are going, I don't think so. But wait, ladies. Wait, ladies. Let's look at how husbands are to submit. They're to submit to Jesus, and they're to submit, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. So there's the illustration. The, the, the illustration is women are to love their husbands like the church loves Jesus. The church lives for Jesus. The, the church worships Jesus. The church serves Jesus. The church honors Jesus. Now men, you're to love your wives the way Jesus loves the church. Let's ask some questions. How does Jesus love the church? What does he do? He died. He gave up everything for his bride. So men, you need to let your wives know you will give up everything for her. You'll give up your football. You'll give up your TV watching. You'll give up whatever your particular issues are. You'll give them up for her. You'll give up your precious Friday night so that you can spend it with her. You must, what? What else does the, the Jesus do to show His church? Takes care. Takes care. How? Elaborate. Takes care of all our needs. Ah! All right. He prays, intercedes, takes care of all of our needs, mends our wounds, listens to our requests. He's attentive as a high priest, would you agree? Cherishes, shows sympathy, love, compassion. Yeah, sure. He forgives. Very good. Doesn't hold grudges. Amen. Protects. He protects. Now, does this sound good, ladies? Yeah, that's what you want from a man, isn't it? You want to feel safe. You want to feel that you are the object, the complete object of His affection. You're the complete object of all His attention. He will give everything else up. He will fight for you. He will intercede for you. He will meet your needs. He will tend to your needs. That's what every woman wants. Remember, a woman wants communication. A woman wants relationship. She wants to know that you're listening to her. And you're hearing her requests. And let me ask you this. In the, in the church service, 1 Corinthians 14, what does Jesus do for His bride when she gathers together to worship Him? What is His response? Yes. Ed, encourage, edify, right? Edify, exhort, and comfort. Jesus is constantly speaking to His bride, exhorting her, right? Edifying her, building her up, and comforting her. That's the present work of Jesus right now. So how does Jesus love His bride? He lavishes love on her by telling her how wonderful she is. She can do it. She can make it. you You have the intelligence for this. You are amazing. Honey, I'm with you. He comforts us. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I forgive you. I'll wash you with the water. I'm here. I answer your prayers. I mean, think of words of prophecy. So what Paul is saying is a covenant relationship is, is a mutual submission. And this mutual submission of how we were made to fit together. You can't fit something together unless you submit to being fit together. Does that make sense? Alright? An embrace. You can't embrace someone unless they submit to an embrace. Have you ever tried to hug someone that doesn't want to be hugged? 
So you, to hug, you have to have a mutual submission, right? Mutual submission is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And the illustration that Paul gives us is the relationship between Jesus and his bride. And so, ladies, you, are, you have an object lesson. You have something to make reference to. And so your reference to how am I supposed to love this guy? How am I supposed to submit to him? Just as the church does to Jesus. So ladies, if you want to have a strong, powerful love relationship and marriage, begin to praise your husband, worship him, adore him, exalt him. And he will respond to that because that's what he's made of. He's trying to accomplish a goal for the life and for marriage and he's working and he's trying to uh, uh, accomplish that. And so every time you praise him, he feels good about that. He's going to put more energy into it. And then men, if you want a wife that is just so loving and so appreciative and so happy, you have to give everything up for her. You have to show her a love that is completely sacrificial and you have to pay attention to her and only her above everything else. Of course, you have obviously things you have to get accomplished and so forth, but you're working together now as a goal. But men, if you want your wives to just be so satisfied and happy, you have to, again, attend to their needs like Jesus does to His church. And He prays for her and He intercedes for her and He cares for her. No small task, is it? <laughs> it's work, isn't it? But what always gets in the way of this? Self. Me. And we start thinking about what we need and what we want and how come I don't have this and how come we don't have that. The minute you start paying attention to self, you are violating the laws of covenant. Alright? Let's read this portion of Scripture in uh, Ephesians, where he says this in verse 31 and 33 of chapter 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to what he says. This mystery is profound. It's profound. What it means by profound is that there is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom in this thing so deep that it'll take you a lifetime to understand it. This mystery between a man and a woman. Now, wait a minute. Is he talking about the love between a a husband and wife? He says this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I thought he was talking about a husband and a wife. He was. And then he says the, 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 the thing about a husband and a wife is so profound, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Do you understand that this thing is so deep and so mysterious, it started at creation. When he created Adam, he pulled Eve out of Adam. And he said, now here is the profound mystery that I have separated you so that the two of you could represent the nature of God, and now you have to come back together. I designed you to fit together into oneness. And in the mystery and profound uh, mystery of this oneness, you will find the meaning of Christ in the church. So, listen, I'm telling you, you, you want to you, you witness? You want to evangelize? You want to win the lost? 
demonstrate a powerful marriage. See, let's ask how the church is doing. The church, we can hand out tracts, we can go to people and say, you need Jesus, you're going to hell. But if we had a church that was profoundly demonstrating the mystery and the love of Christ and His bride, we wouldn't have a 50% divorce rate in church. We're failing in our witness of the most profound mystery that there is. And this is where he says, the mystery is so profound, I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. And then he goes on and he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so you've heard of love and respect. It's a teaching for marriage. Uh, and it's based on that portion of Scripture. So there's a synergy here. Though we are made differently, and my point was this, what's happening in our culture right now is it, the culture is attacking the gender identity, the binary concept of male and female, which is so ingrained in creation And they're trying to say that it's malleable and that it's not here. And it can be a a number of 50-some different genders, which is absolute foolishness. Absolute foolishness. You can cut off body parts. You can sew on body parts. You can take different hormones and look in appearance like the opposite gender. But every cell in your body will still be either male or female the way you were born. And so what the enemies, and these and folks are just confused. They're not our enemies. These people are hurting. They're wounded. They're broken. They need our love. They need attention. They need a deep love that cares for them. They don't need people to be just smashing, putting them down, and so forth. They're hurt. But what is happening is the enemy is trying to distort God's plan for creation. And, and so they're just really in need. And so we're in a war here on this, folks. This is huge. And again, this is why we have got to really come into the knowledge of this mystery so that we can present strong marriages. Now he says, and this is radical for this age and this time, husbands, love your wives as yourselves. You've got to understand what a radical statement that is. Because in this time, women were not considered equal to men. Women were considered property. Okay, In most cultures of the world. So for Christianity to come along and now say to the man, you're to love your wife as you love your own body. That is giving her care and dignity equal to the man. And see, we don't get that. We don't understand how radical that is. It is so profoundly radical. It is now saying, men, respect your wives with a love to which the same way you tend and care for your own body, you start tending and caring for her. All right? And then wives, we're back to the same dynamic. And he says, wives, let the wives see that she respects her husband. So men... You're to give up everything to demonstrate your love, just like Jesus did to the church. And ladies, you're supposed to serve and respect, honor your husband the way the church honors Jesus. And guess what will happen in this reciprocal thing? 
Ladies, if you show him honor, love, and respect, it will make it easier for him to pour out love and forget about everything else, man. What do I care about playing softball when I can have my wife and and who knows what will happen tonight? Anyways, so I'm just pouring out on her, you know, and and so you're loving her and she's respecting you and so now it's all about each other. So this is key, this love and respect, all right? I, I, I hope you're gathering this. And, but what's really hard with it is this concept that, but my husband isn't doing that. Or, yeah, but I'd love to do that, but my wife's not doing that back. And we'll get into this a little more. Because then what happens is you focus on yourself and what you're missing. And guess what? As soon as you hit self, your house is out of order. Covenant's out of order. So let's take the look at the order of the house. Now, let's get into this a little bit. And Paul said that men are the head of their wives. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And the word for head here is kephele. Kephele. Now, see, that means if he's the head of the wife, he's the boss. He's more important than her. He's got all authority. She's got none. No, that's not what Paul meant. If Paul wanted to say that, he would have used a different Greek word. He would have used the Greek word arche. A-R-C-H-E. Arche, which means supreme. He's not saying men are superior over women. He uses a very specific Greek term and says that men are the point man. Men are the head. Kephele is a military term. It means point man. And who knows what a point man does in a a military sense? Leads them. He goes where? He scouts. He goes out ahead to make sure that everyone is safe. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. The word author is, that point man is that trailblazer. He went ahead through death, through the grave, to the Father to lead us there. So when it's saying that the man is the kephele of the wife, being the head, it doesn't mean he's superior. It means he is leading to make sure that the way is safe and that she is protected and that she is cared for. All right? So the man takes the lead for the sake of the woman. Because the woman is nurturing, the woman is caring, and the man is trailblazing, and the man is protecting, and the man is providing, and the man is fighting the battles to keep her safe. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound good? See, and that's the point. Not what we've done historically by making women simply... Uh, slaves to men and to what men want. Uh, that's, that's far from it. That's not what the Christ in the church... Does Jesus operate the church that way? Of course we're slaves to Jesus Christ, but we're, but we're slaves as bondservants because there's no better relationship we could have. He provides everything for us. Now, He says to the woman... 
I will make a helpmate for the man. God said it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper for him, a helpmate. And what is a helpmate? And the concept of a helpmate is one that is fit to the other. Again, a complement. It's not a condition of weakness, but in fact, it is considered uh, that which is a strength. In fact, God Himself uses the same term for Him. In Deuteronomy, verses 33 to 29, God says this, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper and your glorious sword. That same title given to woman can be given to you now, ladies, that you are the husband's, you are the man's helper and shield and protector, and you're her, his aid. When the man needs something, when the man is down, when he doesn't know what he needs, the wife knows just what he needs. She speaks life to him, she rescues him, she helps him, and he protects her. Again, the, the thing of this, this is mutually submission. It's yielding that you, your position for the other person. The whole reason you walk as the head over the family, men, is so that you will lay your life down for them. It's not about you. Your position is completely about them. And wives, your position isn't so that you can sit back and eat bonbons and have this guy give you everything you need. What your position is, is that everything you do is for the sake of Him. And in this mutual submission, you have this amazing, wonderful response to each other that you just want to continue to give to the other person. And so, submission is, is a beautiful and wonderful process of two coming together. Let me give you one final illustration. I don't know if any of you like to watch. There's a bunch of dance shows now on TV, right? Now, unfortunately, most of it's just women dancing in bikinis. But uh, dance with the stars, or you think you can dance, or whatever all this dance. But dance has been around forever, right? A good dance team has a leader and a follower. Right? What would happen in a dance if both people led? Right. So let me ask you in a dance team, and this is, this is a beautiful illustration, usually the male is the lead. He's leading. And, and someone says, stronger. He's, he's leading. He's moving. But typically, who, whose eye, where is everybody's eyes? Her. Why? He makes her look good. He is the stability. He is the foundation. But she is the glory. And this is a way a marriage should look. Jesus is pouring His love and His prayers and, and His answers upon His bride so that He would present to Himself a radiant, glorious bride clean and spotless. Who got her clean and spotless? He did. And he's doing everything to show her off. And what are we doing? Everything to show him off. And so a dance is a beautiful act of mutual 
submission. Each person taking their position. One is not more important than the other. You have to have one leading and one following. And the one exalts the other. And the other meets the need of the other. It's a beautiful dance of mutual submission. So if we can get to these this house in order where men are the leads, but they're leading out of complete self-sacrifice and women are esteeming the men completely to lift them up, then you have this beautiful, beautiful dance of submission. Now, oh, if there was only a model, a perfect model of someone who could show us exactly what submission is all about. If, if there was some reference we had that we could learn this submission, gee, where could we get that model from? Ah, okay. <laughs> so let's close with this. Turn with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus demonstrates the perfect model of what it means to die to self for the sake of the one you love. And if you can follow these things, you're going to have an awesome, amazing marriage. And so here's the model. We come at Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 6, it says this about Jesus. Who being in the very nature God. Who, Who is that? Jesus. There's a proof text right there for you that Jesus is God. It says who, Jesus, being in the very nature, in very nature, He is Theos, He is God. That is His nature. He's omniscient, He's omnipresent, He's omnipotent, He's immutable. Look up your theology. All of that nature of God is found in Christ Jesus. He is in nature God, but He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, He didn't hold on to it. He didn't cling to it. He was willing to do what? Give it up. For who? Us. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He, the word is kenosis. He emptied himself, taking the very nature. I mean, wait, what was, what was his nature in that, in that verse? Who being in nature, God, he took on then instead, emptied himself and took on the nature of what? A servant. Being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now here, within this verse, is our model of what it means to submit in love for the sake of another. So on the bottom of your outline here, I have an arrow with, towards a cross, and there are six lines And we're going to write down six things found in this verse that it takes to submit in love for your mate. The first is, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or forced. He doesn't force 
his authority, he gives it up. All right? So you don't force anyone in a love relationship. How many of you know this is what started the problem with everything? Love never coerces. You cannot make someone love you. Someone asks, why is there evil? I can tell you why there is evil. Because there is love. God risked everything so that we could freely, willingly love Him. And with that came the risk that we could reject Him. And the minute man rejected Him, creation fell. But God could not make you love Him. He had to give free will. And so what He does is He doesn't grasp. He doesn't force it. So in a love relationship, you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone obey you if there's love. You can't make someone have a good marriage. You have to create it. And we'll see how. So number one, it's not forced. Jesus doesn't force anyone to get saved. He can't. It is a choice that He gives you. Secondly, He made Himself nothing. In other words, He gave up His reputation. He's God. He emptied Himself. Alright? So I don't... In your marriage, look at you, president of your company. Woo! Look at you, dressing nice. Woo! Look at you, you look so beautiful. You got all the looks everybody always wanted. Woo! Look at you. I don't know what your reputation is. But for the sake of your mate, it means nothing. You will give everything up unto who you are for the sake of them. He gave up his nature of being God for the sake of his bride. He came humbly and lowly, and Isaiah says, of no reputation. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, he didn't stand out apart from any other Jew, Jewish man. Isaiah says there was nothing pleasant or he was very comely. He was a very average looking guy. Now when he started speaking and started creating miracles, set him apart, didn't it? But he was not of any reputation. In, in other words, that means pride. There's no pride in, in that reputation. Woman, don't you know who I am? You better respect me. No, you earn that respect. You can't force it. You can't grasp and you can't make it. He made himself nothing. All right, next one. Taking the very nature of what? Servant. He served. Served. How many of you remember what happened at the Passover meal? Came time to wash their hands. What did Jesus wash? Their feet. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. That is covenant love. He gave up his reputation. He didn't force it. And he willfully served for the sake of his bride. And then he told his disciples, now you go and do likewise. This is radical. Next one. Being made in human likeness in the appearance of a man. In other words, he humbled himself. The appearance 
of a man. Humbled himself. He was God, and now he's appearing as a creation, a creature. That's humility, would you not say? Okay, humbled himself. Then the next is obedient. Obedient to death. He was supposed to go to the cross, and he was obedient to the Father. So in your marriage covenant relationship, remember what it says? Submit one to the other in reverence to Christ. This isn't a matter of whether you want to or don't want to. This isn't a matter of, well, she doesn't do this or, yeah, he doesn't do that. This is a matter of your obedience to Christ. This is a matter of worshiping Jesus in the way you treat your mate. You know, we all think that we're all going to get rewarded by the basis of how many people we brought to Jesus. But we're going to be rewarded as to how obedient we've been to the Word of God. And part of the biggest thing is, when you're married, how obedient were you to God in the way you treated your wife or your husband? Amen? The last one, death on a cross. Death on the cross. Ultimate submission. It's not forced. Right? You don't grasp at it. You don't push it. You don't coerce it. It is not based in your pride. You empty yourself. You serve. You humble yourself. You're obedient to the Word of God. And last of all, complete submission is death to self. But remember, now wait, 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 wait. Catch this. We're not done with this verse yet. Because there's two parts to it. Jesus humbled Himself, served, had no pride, emptied Himself, even death for His bride. And what happens when He gives that kind of love? Look at the next part. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the response back. This is mutual submission. This is the beauty of it. When you give all of your self-identity and all that you are and humble yourself and get rid of all other self-serving things and serve your mate, the response is all the glory coming back to you. Now, you're not getting it for yourself. It's being given to you. And it creates this amazing, beautiful, circular powerful law of covenant. This is the power of law number three. What is law number three? Self is the enemy of covenant. The minute you start paying more attention to your self, you are violating covenant law. Amen? Amen. Amen.